This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is the Project Up Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we're talking to an upland bird hunter, a game chef, and just an all-around cool dude, Simon Tika. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 147. Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZ USA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, and Dakota 283. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week, August 23rd today. For those that have been following along and asking me about it, no baby yet, but the due date is later this week, and I'm excited to meet the little guy. Any day now. Oh, and I did want to mention that last week I received in the mail a little infant onesie with a grouse screen printed on it, which I thought was pretty cool. There was no name attached to it. As far as I could tell, I searched high and low and packaging and inside and didn't see anything. I assume it's somebody who's a listener of the show or maybe follows me on Instagram. So if anybody out there listening sent me that, thank you very much. I appreciate it. August is ticking away. September 1 on the horizon. They're bird hunting up in Alaska. And a whole lot more of us will be in the field come September. Can't wait. couple quick mentions here. Mentioned it last week. Upland Institute training video series. Justin McGrail, Ron Bame. 
Watched a few more videos last week, working on some steadiness training with Rose. Got her in a really good spot, running her with the flank collar for the time being. And I cannot wait to get her back in the woods and the fields this fall. If you're in the market for dog training, information, video series, I would definitely encourage you to check this one out. Justin McGrail is a well-known and well-respected trainer. He's been on Ron's podcast a whole bunch of times. If you're on the fence or not sure exactly if it's what you're looking for, go listen to those episodes with Justin McGrail, and you will have a much better idea of what you're going to get in the video series. Check it out at uplandinstitute.com. All right, another reminder for the Garmin Zero giveaway. Remember, a listener of the show tried it out, realized it wasn't for him. We're donating it back. We're trying to give it away to a youth shooting group or organization. I received two, that's it, two entries. So those two people have really, really good odds. I'm going to run this thing into September for sure. We'll give it away. I'll give you at least one week heads up, but we're going to give it away in September. But right now, two youth shooting groups are entered to receive the Garmin Zero S1 Trap Shooting Trainer. We welcome more entries. Just let us know who the youth shooting group is, just a little bit about the situation. You don't have to go overboard with it. We just want to hear from people, and we want to make sure this Garmin Zero S1 Trap Shooting Trainer, which was given to the podcast by Garmin, thank you very much, we want to make sure it goes to a youth shooting group that will use it and get value out of it. And still for a limited time, until August 31st, you can save 75 bucks on a pair of Goki boots with free shipping. Use the code UPLAND21. That's UPLAND21. Save you 75 bucks on a pair of Goki boots with free shipping. Preseason UPLAND boot sale. FYI. All right, we're going to jump into the interview this week. Today's guest is Simon Tidga. He has become a friend of mine over the past couple of years. He was a listener to the show reached out. He was just getting started in upland hunting a couple seasons ago. Fast forward to today, he's two years into it, and this guy is head over heels into upland bird hunting. He had a golden retriever, flushing dog. He now has an English setter. He's going down the pointy dog route. He's excited about both of them, and he has hunted the heck out of Shooter, his golden retriever, for the past couple of years. It's been really fun watching Simon pursue upland hunting the way that he does. He's obviously passionate about it. He's a very smart guy. He does his research. And I think Simon is a great case study in that here's a guy that didn't really know a whole lot about upland hunting, just knew that he wanted to try it. He's certainly not shy. So he reached out to a lot of people asking for help, looking for advice in the right way. He got a lot of help, but more importantly, he's taken the knowledge that has been passed along to him, and he has put it to use, and he is well on his way to becoming a very capable upland bird hunter. In fact, I would argue that he already is. In addition to just being a crazy upland bird hunter, Simon is a very talented chef. He does a lot of wild game cooking, shares a lot of that via his Instagram account, and he's got a blog. He takes great photos in the field of his food. Just an all-around talented dude and had a lot of fun chatting with him on the podcast today about a whole bunch of stuff. Let's get into it and welcome into the conversation and onto the podcast, Simon Tika. And we're live, dude. Well, yeah. Awesome. No, we're not live, but we're recording. Good. Same here. Welcome to the show, Simon. Hey, how are you doing? Pretty good, dude. How are you? Living the dream. Feel like I just saw you last week, like at Pine Ridge, maybe. I feel like we did, yeah. <laughs> Are you still going on Friday? 
Yeah, I'm 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 planning on actually um I think I'm gonna make a brisket and bring that up. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. You know, a guy like me has to bring some food. That's just what I do. It's kind my of love language. <laughs> how did the uh how did the pizzas turn out that I unfortunately had to leave? Uh I think they were probably the best pizzas I've ever made. Really? And I'm not just saying that because <laughs> you weren't there. But I'm getting better with that little pizza oven I have every time I make some. So it was good. Um, I made 16, and they all ate them. There was nothing left. Those hungry dog training folks. Yeah, no kidding. Yep. <laughs> well, that's awesome, dude. Before we get too far into it, introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us where you are from, where you call home, that kind of thing. Sure. Well, um, Simon Tietke, or Teach or whatever you want to say, it's a... It's a tough last name over here in the U.S., but um, um, I'm originally from Germany. That's where the accent is from, so I want to get that out of the way first because most people ask. <laughs> and I've been here since a little over 10 years now. I used to live in, in Central Europe quite a bit and then Africa and made my way over here. And um, I got into hunting about, I think, two and a half years ago, I would say. Yeah, I got um, got myself a little hunting dog, and since ever since we've been traveling the the uplands and the public lands of of this country to um shoot as many birds as we can and have have a lot of fun and um i'm now right now based out of out of minnesota just west of the cities about 45 minutes yeah yeah you're coming up on your third season i've gotten to know you over the last couple of years but you've you've definitely made the most of your first two seasons you've you spent some days in the field Oh yeah, I mean the f- the first season I think I did I did all right. Um, I had a really hard time finding birds, mainly because I just didn't know what I was doing. But yeah, um, what I did do was not giving up and just walking a lot. And then um, the second season for sure, I I put a lot of time in. I think I can't remember how many days, but it's too not too many, but it was quite a lot. Yeah. And um, <laughs> at the end of the season, you could see I was very tired in the last season pictures, and then Shooter was very tired too. She she needed a break after that. No, we did. We hunted um, quite a quite a sum of species last year. Yeah. Together. Yeah. Yeah. For somebody just getting going, you are head over heels into it. It's been it's been fun to watch, as I said. And, and we did. You were on this podcast last summer. Um, you, myself. John Steigerwalt and Jared Elm sitting around the tailgate, uh, kind of about the same time of year. I would yeah. think it was it was last August, and we were we were obviously all looking ahead at at the season upcoming. And um, you and I got to hunt together. We only hunted together in North Dakota last year. Did we? We never connected in the grouse no, woods. Am I blanking on we that? We did. No, we did. Uh, oh, when I bought when yes. I bought that that gun from Jerry. Yes. Remember, we went out and. Um, you um you had a hard time shooting grouse over a flashing dog. I remember that. Oh, yes, I do recall that. <laughs> it was early season still, Simon. Let's yeah, so did I, by the way. No, none of us <laughs> shot a bird, and we had plenty of opportunities that, that that evening. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun day. We spent most of our day kicking around Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, which has been a been a common theme on this podcast lately. But uh, we got to walk in the woods with Earl, Earl the Pearl yep. Johnson. So that was fun. And we shot some Upland Gun Company guns. That was the first time we had really got our hands on them. I, I may I maybe had seen a few earlier, but yeah. that was um, the we, first delivery, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. then we did sneak out at the end of the day, and this would have been post Hartley's torn cruciate. So he was not with us. We had Rose with us, but she was you know three months old basically. At the, this was late September, yeah. and long story short, we had time for one hunt. Went to a spot that I had hunted at least once before pretty good country and 
got in there and I remember I, I was kind of like tuned up to take a walk with Shooter, which I had just hunted with Shooter in North Dakota. I we walked behind her a little bit out there, and I didn't shoot any birds over her. But this one, you're like, I, I remember we start walking down this trail, and <laughs> yeah, I'm, she takes I'm a like, hard left. Yes, <laughs> like as a previous uh, partridge hunter, like I maintain like a a pretty decent level of readiness in the grouse woods. I'm always ready to shoot. I'll shoot birds that. You know, depending on like where my dog is at and obviously Rose wasn't on the ground here and you know, you, you were let, with shooter on the ground, you could pretty much anything's fair game as long as it's safe. Right. Yep. And so like, I, I'm ready, but we're walking and shooters like kind of nonchalantly making our way down the trail. And all of a sudden her head turns and you're just like, dude, get ready. And before you could finish the sentence, a grouse takes off yep. and we didn't have a shot at all. I mean, this grouse. The grouse was not cooperating. It just no, took it off wasn't. and didn't get I think, shot. I think, but. I think she kind of stepped a little bit into the woods, and I think what I told you was she's a pretty she's a pretty efficient dog, which you know is a good word for laziness. That if she <laughs> yeah. goes in the woods, she goes in there for a reason, and exactly. I couldn't finish, yes. the, finish the sentence, and there was a grouse going, yeah. <laughs> yes, that is exactly how it played out. And then I remember we did – we did a lot of walking through some pretty nice stuff and did not move many birds until we were basically looping back towards the truck. Yep. And then we got into a few, and I did have at least one really good look, all things considered, and I missed it. But That's it all good. I, I missed that one that took off right of the way, too, and that, that was a straightaway. But that is what it is. You know, it's yeah. not, That's not what we were out there for. But Yeah. I don't know if you were, as I was a little bit late, getting my son down for a nap this afternoon. I don't know if you went on Instagram, but I, I put a video up today. I was looking at some old, uh, some videos from last December. I got a GoPro, started recording stuff. I wish I would have had the thing the whole season, and I'm pretty excited to have it this year. But anyways, the first day I had the thing out, Rose went on point, perfect setup scenario, got the whole thing on camera, and the shot was like very open shot as far as grouse woods go. And I remember as it happened, I kind of wrote this in the caption, but as it happened, the bird took off and it was so open that I, I, my confidence was high. Like I knew yeah. I was going to have a good look at this and I didn't feel that rush that you oftentimes feel in the grouse woods. And I thought I timed my shot where it was going between these two trees and bang, the grouse kept flying. And like, I, I will admit, like I was kind of like surprised that it was still flying just because my confidence level was high. And so then at that point you kind of flustered and I threw the second shot and it was basically yeah. worthless and the grouse keeps flying. And to be honest, in the moment, I thought I just missed a clean, you know, just whatever, just mm. made a bad shot, overconfident. In reviewing the footage, I can see, and this was kind of the neat thing about the GoPro, I really did shoot a little bit too early and I smacked that aspen tree just before, before the grouse cleared cleared it. So, you know, it... I don't know if it took all the shot, but it took some of it and just shooting in the trees that that can happen. But well, it's, sounds it's, like you have a history um, missing birds on a perfect yeah. layup over your young little dog. Yes. I heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did that on, I did that on a sharp tail out in, in South yep. Dakota and I did it this a few is, times. This is what I'm fearing. I'm not going to lie to you. This, <laughs> this, this first like awesome point by Juniper and I'm going to miss that bird. This is just the biggest fear I have. Well, if Juniper is anything like Rose, she will uh, she won't get too worked up about it, and she'll just keep on keeping on. Point the next one. <laughs> yeah, I it's kind of a nice so. segue. We definitely, I definitely want to talk about Juniper, and you've got a little bit of a transition here uh, with dogs, and kind of adding yeah. another one to the mix and different styles and flavors. And 
want to talk about yeah. all that stuff. We I think we should I think we should talk about shooter a little bit because I don't yes. think a lot of people know what what's going on when we say shooter all the time. So shooter is my first dog. Yep. Um, she was five years old when I got her about two and a half years ago, and she came from a breeder. Um, she is a she's a golden red river, and very well bred, good good pedigree, great dog, and um, she's a hard hunter and just perfect mate for me at the point in time that I was at. She's a very easy dog. She's a very beginner friendly dog, I would say, right? So I can take her out and throw her into a field and we walk and she finds birds like not all, not a lot of other dogs I've met so far. But um, again, she's a flushing dog and she's a hell of a retriever. And that's kind of what I hunted over the last two years. And I hunted very, quite a spread of of upland birds with her during seasons people told me i shouldn't even go out hunting for example prairie chickens in december yeah over flushing dog and things like that but she she does a great job she's wonderful she's seven years old now and um so i made the decision cautiously because um i listen to a lot of podcasts and i talk to a lot of people that i need a second dog but um mainly do what i just mentioned earlier to um seeing her kind of being really tired at the end of a season and i took a lot out of her that i hunted that much and walked her that much we walked a lot of miles so i know i needed some more dog power and um just just where i live minnesota but also we have a cabin up in northern wisconsin as you know yeah um i do hunt a lot of grouse and i really enjoyed hunting over pointing dogs the last season so i decided we get a pointing dog and we got on the list on the waiting list and eventually we got a got us a young young pointing dog out of um, paint river Laval, kyle warren and um, really, so far, just blown away. She was born um, January 16th. We picked her up when she was nine weeks old. Yeah. And since then, it's been a, I wouldn't say a roller coaster. At the beginning, it was. I'm still worrying too much. You know, if you ask Bailey, I'm always too worried. But, <laughs> but you know, she really does well. And, and this this idea of, you know, 90% of the success is genetics. is really plays a big role in that dog. It's... And it shows me because we have a rescue dog that was our first dog, Haggard, and he's just so hard to train and he's so hard to keep under control. Where um, Juniper does this kind of herself. You do, you know, you kind of subscribe to what you want to do. It doesn't matter which which strategy you go for, which is a total total another kind of worms you can open right. and how you want to train your bird dog. But um, once you decided what you want to do and you go that way, it kind of seems to really work out, and it's all repetitiveness and eventually you can see the light just turn on whatever you want to do and they figure it out and then they just keep doing it and and i was focusing a lot on lot on obedience because you know shooter being so obedient i really enjoy that i, I like a dog that listens to me i don't like to yell too much even though yeah i did at the beginning quite a bit but yeah so so she's she's coming along she's um nearly seven months old now and um she's seen a lot of birds well over 100 pigeons thanks to jerry and um and that's you know she's pointing she's obviously we had some big news here shooting the first birds over her that was yeah that was quite exciting and and that was quite the event i was too nervous to do it myself but maybe you want to talk about that yeah no we we will definitely get that but i <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to leave not that we're going to leave shooter behind but yeah. i want to i want to talk a little bit more about that and and again I know you've been on Travis. You've been on Travis Frank's podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah Travis and I spent Travis quite a bit of time you're on, together. You're on the flush, time. and so like some of your story is has been told with Shooter and stuff. But I'm, I'm curious, 
as far as like you know you were really a new hunter you you were looking yeah. for that connection uh to food and you're kind of you know you had the passion for cooking and stuff but when it came to you know getting on the ground and hunting with shooter you got the dog what how prepared or because i know you do your research but like how were you feeling about just taking your dog out into the uplands and just going for it you know like like those first couple hunts did you go with somebody the first time did you go by yourself no, i go and by Talk myself to me about it i completely went by myself horrible by the way when you <laughs> described the feeling because I was so unexperienced and so scared at the beginning that I thought to myself, and this might sound funny to you or anybody that listens to that, that I thought it's going to be so hard when a bird flies to tell if it's a hen, pheasant, or a rooster. I could you see know, that. Because yeah. I just didn't know, right? All you do is yep. watching videos and you hear those horror stories of people like blasting hens all day, you know? So right. long story short, I was a little scared. and but A but, bit intimidated by all of it. Yeah, just just a lot. And... And it's not like it's not like a, a you know a scene where you can just ask somebody to take you out, and I understand that you know it's a complete stranger with an accent asking you to share the field for for a morning with a couple of guns and you know yeah. walking somewhere. So I get that point, but but after all, I'm I'm kind of a DIY guy anyways, and and you know just try to learn my own stuff and try to prove it to a certain point that I can do it. And then I'm far more open to other people coming in, if that makes any sense. I just want to prove yeah. the point that I can do it myself first. So I went out and it was pretty straightforward. I didn't see many birds at the beginning. And um, Minnesota makes it, at the beginning it made it easier because you have those 40 to 80 acre plots of WMAs where you just mm. know you can go to. Yeah. You know you know where the parking lot is. It's very it's very easy. It's kind of a, a pheasant hunter amusement park, and hopefully there's a bird, right? Right. Um, which now, where I'm at now in my life, it's totally depressing to me to hunt 40 acres, but that's a different topic. Yeah. At the beginning, this was perfect for me, right? It's yep. kind of a like, good beginner's thing. It's like, oh, this is a spot you can go. You're totally legal, right? If somebody else is there, you'd be nice. You ask, or you just leave, you know? So things like that. And I did that a couple of times around the cities, and then eventually... I think the first bird, I sh the first wild bird I shot over shooter was actually with my neighbor, and he came along with me that one evening, and I actually talked him into. It's like, hey, you should come. This is a great place. I have never seen anything else but a hen pheasant, but it's a great place. <laughs> and we walk in, and you know, we was, walked. did he have a gun too? Like, was he? A yeah, hunter? yeah. He's he's actually a hunter. He grew okay. up in 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 Morris, Western Minnesota, so he knows quite a bit, and he helped me from then on just to understand a couple of things a little better. He's not a dedicated pheasant hunter by any means, but, you know, he has some ideas. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we walked out and, and we ran around and a couple of hens flushed right in front of us throughout the walk. It was really exciting. We got, you know, I yelled hen as loud as I could. It was <laughs> awesome. And then eventually um, we were just about to turn back. His, his son was with us too. It was oh, pretty cool. cool. And we were just on the way to turn back and maybe 150 yards downhill at, dumb roosters just cackling it's like his brain's out you know like and it's Come 45 i think it's 45 minutes on hour to sundown it's like we still have that much time and i'm like it's just cackling and keeps and it's like all right let's just go down there and by the time it cackled i was like what was that and he's like it's a rooster i'm like really you know right. One of those i had no things. idea yeah, yeah probably listened to it 15 times on youtube can couldn't still say what a rooster sounded like but yeah we walked down and um, shooter found it pretty quickly we flushed it missed um, but we saw where it came back down. We went back there, flushed it again. I shot it. It fell into the, fell into the middle of a swamp, and Shooter just got a nice water retrieve out of it, and it was a good time. That That's was my first cool. rooster. Yeah. And from then on, it was pretty straightforward. We went out, 
four days out of the week probably in the evenings or the mornings and every once in a while we walked into a rooster and usually it died <laughs> yeah that's awesome so that you know that's basically october a couple of years ago yeah and... it was yeah it was october i well well i gotta step back now that we i, I talked mainly about pheasant hunting here yeah, i gotta step back i did shoot uh, woodcock before that okay okay so that was that was oh, yeah, more exciting than anything grouse else camp. i went you to grouse camp yeah. yeah i signed up for that i um i can't remember i think you maybe told me about that maybe or you heard it's about like, it or something on the podcast like or... hey you know look at this so i signed up for that and i went there and i shot um shot a That's couple right. woodcock and that was yeah. my first the first woodcock i shot was was over a pointing dog of the people that that kind of guided us it's not a real guide trip right just mentoring yeah and that was super exciting because you know, it's a woodcock, holds tight, flashes right in front of you, and you shoot it, and, you know, it was pretty darn easy. Yeah. And I, th I really liked it. And um, it kind of gave me a special connection with woodcock anyways. It's my favorite bird to hunt, really. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that was fun. And then next morning I was supposed to um, be back at grouse camp and listen to um, more lessons Probably by Ted or somebody. I don't know, but I skipped class and I was too excited. It's like I need to now shoot one of those over my own dog. So yeah. I grabbed one of the guys I stayed at the hotel with, and he's a, he's a duck hunter. And I'm just like, dude, we gotta we gotta go and shoot a bird. I know where they're at. And he's like, <laughs> you do? So we drove like an hour, and yeah, we all we both shot a bird. So it was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you yeah you had a little had a little mentorship one day, and the next day you're out finding success on your own. That's yeah. So yeah, that was that was what was the late September, I think. Yeah, that was something yep. like that. Uh, September twenty fifth or something. I as yep. I recall, it was two thousand nineteen. They did it mm -hmm. again last year. Did you go last year? I did go last year. I actually um, mentored a hunt. Yeah, so <laughs> that was pretty one, interesting. One year ahead, you're yeah. you're, you're paying it forward, and you're the mentor now. <laughs> yeah, we found a couple of grouse too. Found a bunch of woodcock, missed all of them. But hey, we we found birds. Got people Finding on birds, birds, and they really had a good day. Yeah. Well, there's a couple things there that you mentioned with your first, some of your first fed hunts and that one, the importance of access, which, oh, yeah. you know, it sounds obvious, but you know, we're, we're very lucky. Both you and I live in Minnesota and as far as public land goes, I would say we've got it pretty dang good around here. And talking about sort of that as an early upland hunter, all of the things in your head, I mean, let alone gun safety and firearm oh, yeah. aspect, but then habitat cover, dog work, everything else that's floating around, like, you know, it should be a, probably a little bit intimidating. And there's so many things that could be that barrier that make you stop and say, well, maybe this isn't for me, right? Well, having access to public land where you know you can go and sort of be, you know, you have access to that. You don't have to worry about stepping on somebody's toes, that kind of thing, obviously some etiquette and common sense in the field, but just having that not be a barrier is a big deal for new hunters, which yeah. is not news and, to anybody, but no. And, and it, you know, what you talk about was access and there's two very different things, right? Having access to um, like state and County and public forests up North and Northern Wisconsin is a little bit different than hunting 40 to 80 acre plots in Western Minnesota for pheasant, right? Pheasant, because those are, I mean, pheasants forever does, an outstanding incredible job that's why they get all my money i have left over anyways but <laughs> just because there is birds on those lands that's just incredibly incredible to me that they f figure out somehow that on that 40 acre plot there's enough birds that you can go out there every once in a while till late season and still find a bird right so that's pretty easy right that's actually not that hard where it gets hard is when you're up in the north woods because now you're talking about thirty-eight thousand acre 
areas where you have to figure out where's the woodcock at and where's the grouse at. How do you narrow and it down? And that is a little harder, and it's still a little hard for me. I've started to figure it out really well just around the area I hunt. And it's the same thing with when you go fishing for a longer time. You do that for years, and eventually you say, this looks fishy, and you throw your mm-hmm. lure, and you got a fish. And yep. this is the same way with, with grouse for me. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a forester. I don't really know what I'm looking at. But eventually, I build a pattern in my head that I know this is what this is, looks like. There's a bird here. Yeah. Right? And, and I've never, I don't think I'll ever get into the point where I can call the different plants out and the different seeds and the different you whatever will. they eat. <laughs> right? But, but I don't think I necessarily need to. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yep. Because I find the pattern and I kind of see what it looks like and, and find birds. And I think it was a little harder on grouse and woodcock, to be honest with you. Yeah. Harder on grouse even um, than it was on pheasant. Pheasant was pretty pretty straightforward. You go out there and you figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a practical you know, application to just being able to recognize certain cover and recognize, the, hey, that's grousey or that looks like woodcock cover. I, I think we, we all kind of do that. You do it long enough, like we're just hardwired to that pattern recognition really but it you know it does improve over time you know and eventually like i used to not know anything about species and now i i pay a little bit more attention but i i'm not walking through the woods naming every single plant but i can tell you what hazel brush is and what an aspen tree is you know that kind of oh i should be able to do that that's that's not not that hard no but that makes definitely sense and then i think come the second season i was a little bit better even at at looking at things i could you know, figure out on Onyx what looks good and what doesn't. And that's, yep. that's, yep. I think that's when it really gets into some interesting things, mainly for pheasant and prairie birds, where yeah. you can look at a, at a plot and say, that's really not that nice of a plot, so I don't waste my time, right? Yeah, that, I mean, satellite imagery, you know, we could dive into that, and I will probably have an interview coming up with a focus on that. But just as far as efficiency of maximizing your time on the ground, there's there's things you can look at. And I think you bring up an interesting point as far as, like almost the paradox of choice when you have when you when you have 40 acres to hunt it's almost like easy just flip the brain off and go hunt that 40 acres yeah. whereas up in the north woods you've got so many choices how do you how do you narrow it down i mean i can i can see how that's like an interesting dynamic as far oh, as on the prairie right i mean you go somewhere. out west uh, yeah. and you and yeah. you hunt a section or two at a time right where you're like okay well i can't really walk this all and you know, with a flushing dog, I need to walk this all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if yeah. I wanna, I you can't just have my dog range three hundred yards, right? Yeah. Doesn't work with a flushing dog. And and so I started hunting objectives, and I think I learned quite a bit from from the folks. I was, you know, you Ted and Tyler, just yep. telling me it's like this. You know, you gotta hunt objectives. This is what you gotta hunt. You know, mm-hmm. those hillsides. You gotta you gotta find those berries, and that's what you do. And and you know, learn how to hunt, not walk on top of the hill all the time, and things yep. like that. So that yep. made a big difference, and eventually I um really really was successful at that so that's that is something that's probably going to change a little bit this year which i'm looking forward to with a dock that runs a little further and yeah can cover some ground yep you'll get a little more ground covered but yeah you're on the right track and that's a, a learning curve that i'm going through as well and just kind of learn how to be efficient out there what are the objectives how do you pattern them how do you see them and again a lot of that it's just boots on the ground as people like to say experience in the field but there's a there's a multitude of tools and stuff that you can use to again maximize that time and maximize what you learn which they all kind of work together so pointing dog you touched on it a little bit you've got shooter the flushing dog she's in her prime and she's gonna get lot she's got a lot of hunting left and 
you wanted to get another dog for dog power, but also switched it up a little bit. Talk to me about the the decision to go to pointing dog. You know, you mentioned you'd got a chance to hunt over some. Anything else that you were thinking about as far as maybe covering ground and getting a dog that can get out there a little bit? Yeah, so to be honest with you, when I started signing up for hunting for a new hunting dog, for a pointing dog, I wasn't quite on the same page as I am today, and I will probably... But today, not on the same page as I will be in two years. That's yeah. the first thing. Yeah. So um, I came across Kyle listening to several podcasts, just talking to Kyle too and and um, talking to Bailey. So I think how this all started was I wanted a German dog because I thought to myself, I'm German, I need a German dog. Just like you want a German gun. Exactly, and I still don't <laughs> own one. But <laughs> so the point is that I was looking at a, at a – Kleine Münsterländer, so a small Münsterländer. Hmm. And Bailey was really the first person I know and one of the people I really, really respect of what she's doing and how she built up her own experience over the yep. years. So I talked to her and she talked me pretty much immediately out of a small Münsterländer. <laughs> that was pretty interesting. She's like, it's a nice dog. Might not be the best one for you. I think that's what she meant with, with like their first pointing breed, right? Because usually their pointing instinct can can be a little hard to come to you know to tickle out yeah. where there's other dogs that you know pretty much point as soon as they pop out in the day in the light of day and um and then she you know mentioned that she got a dog from kyle and it's really nice dog and and my wife and i were both on the same page that we wanted something that's very more on the calmer side so um that Luvelin really was was a good choice i was still the opinion we could, you know, go for a drata or wire hair or something like that, just because I like the look of them. Yeah. But um, my wife didn't really like that. She didn't like the short-haired dogs, which she also doesn't really comb on the, on the burst too much. But she <laughs> she um, decided that those setters really look look nice, and um, I agreed with that. And I wanted a grouse dog. I really wanted a dog to yeah. kill a grouse over. I'm not gonna lie. It's I know you have a lot of people out there that tell you it's. It's totally easy to kill a grouse over a flushing dog, but you know, shoot us for five, six at a time. I was getting into into a pointing dog, and it, she never seen a grouse in her life before. I started hunting her, and it was quite hard to f- kill a grouse over her. So I wanted something that um, that makes it a little easier. So long story short, we uh, went with Kyle, and Kyle um, was gracious enough to um, put us on the list, and and we eventually got a dog out of him. And he knows I'm hunting hunting um, pheasants so he's really considerate with those things and he did a really good job at trying to point me in the right direction on the kind of litter i wanted to have so she's out of um out of missy which is um the dame um um, hatchets out of two okay and then bailey's dog yep bailey's dog and the sire is pal out of um chewy garcia's kennel i can't remember what what that kennel name is down in Iowa, but he's a pheasant hunter. I think he guides over him too. So it's a little bit of a stronger dog, you know, a little bit of, of a more stamina. So and Juniper really shows that she shows a little bit more of, she's a little bit bigger than some of the other dogs I've seen. And she shows definitely quite some stamina and some, and in that area. So yeah, really happy so far. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, the whole, you know, everything lies in front of you at this point. Obviously we've, you've done some things with the pup. You've had a lot of time really for a first year pup getting her in. She was born in January, right? You said, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So she's born in January. So you're going to have, you know, you're going to have a, a pretty physically mature, capable dog come hunting season relative 
to some puppies. You know, like yeah. I had Rose last year. Rose was three months old in September. Yeah, she'll be a, eight months. Kind yeah. of a different story there. In, in June, you know, again, you've had time to, to – she's obviously introduced to gunfire. She's been on some pigeons. And last week at Pine Ridge, we – that was her first first bird shot for her, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yep. Let's yep. let's. Well, okay. So I kind of just like laid a few things out there. But what were your goals prior to this hunting season, if if any? You know, was it just gun intro and bird intro? And yeah. So um, my goals were that. Well, first of all, I didn't quite believe what Bailey and Kyle told me. Not that I not believe her in what. That they have a lot of experience, but I just sounded too good to be true. They just said, "Well, do a lot of obedience, and then just birds, 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 because that's all that dog needs." And she's she learned by herself. I'm like, "Oh, but you know, I had all those questions." Long story <laughs> yeah. short, that's all we did. I did uh, focused heavy on obedience early, um, just no pressure, but just really positive reinforcement obedience, and she's really good at that too. And then um, we started introducing her to birds and. Um, I went up to Jerry's and did that with yep. Jerry Havel, did that with him. And, and that was kind of my target. I wanted to have 100 pigeons about on her before before this season. And, um, you know, just have a, have a decent gunfire introduction, something that um, is very careful. And because I was quite worried, not scared, sure, but quite worried sure. about that. I think yep. that's a big deal for people. Now that I've done it, I don't think it's that big of a deal as I thought it would be. Agreed, but yeah. you just don't want to mess your dog up, right? So I, that was my target, to have a solid dog that's okay on guns. And, and I mean, yet we have to yet shoot a 12-gauge over her, but I don't think it's going to make much difference anymore nowadays. Yeah. But yeah. no, that's, that was really my target. And we um, progressed quite quickly. We put on a lot of birds and... She did really good from, I think, from the first time on. You actually liked the bird. She was interested in it. And, and, and then she started pointing and really never stopped. Yeah. Yep. Like, she, she holds is. points. She, she's just fine. She's chasing after the flush at this point, right? Yeah, she is, yeah. Yep. Um, yep. Partly. I mean, I was thinking about enforcing, start re- reinforcing the, the woe. But I feel like I give her the first season with chasing the birds and... I can always, you know, figure that out later on if I yep. wanted to. And she's not like she slowed down quite a bit from when she was first first introduced. That's kind of what I was what I was was curious is if she's mm-hmm. already starting the show. Not that that's necessarily well, good or bad. Well, if you watch the video actually of where we get into here in a minute, you see she doesn't chase the bird right. that flushed the first time. She just stands there till I release her. Right, yeah, and she kind of started figuring that out. I think she figured that out because every time she goes on point, I woe her just to make sure she understands that woe means standing still because she stands still, so might as well use this as a training opportunity. And she's a really good. She wo- I woe trained her really efficiently. She woes when I want her to really. Yeah. So I think that kind of transitioned her automatically into like, okay, maybe I should just stay here till something happens besides yeah. the flush so slowly but surely she's getting there and if she chases she doesn't chase far she turns yeah. pretty quickly around at the beginning she could have chased the whole 300 yards of that field yeah right. for sure and she Which, wouldn't come back and she would just eventually you know after she made like three rounds trying to find that bird again she would come back now yeah. she chases comes back you know maybe doesn't chase yeah. really depends on what mood she's in she's also smart. i think she yeah. yeah she looks for the next bird too right i mean right yeah, she's starting to figure out that she's not going to yeah. catch it. But yeah, had, yeah I, I kind of forgot about, well, well, we'll talk about that scenario. Yeah, but, but no, 
as far as goals go, I think she be overshot where I wanted to be with her. I'm, she, I think she's quite ready. So that's and. Now we are in the wild bird season at this point. I know you've been out mm-hmm. a couple of times. Has she been? Has she had wild bird contacts yet? Yeah, she did. Yeah, I mean, she the f- first bird contact she ever had was a wild rooster, but um, oh, okay, that was um, just behind our house by accident. Yeah. Yeah. But no, she had wild bird contacts by now, and um, I mean, July fifteenth is when um, Minnesota State Land opens for dog mm-hmm. training. So we yep. we did that and found found some birds. She um, she was hit on. She's really hit or miss with pointing wild roosters or wild pheasants. Sometimes she just blasts in them, and sometimes she smells them, sometimes she doesn't. But it's also really hard for me right now to kind of figure that out because really between July 15th and, and today we had really warm, barely any wind, breeze, moist weather. Dry, so it's super dry. dry. It's kind of weird sometimes. Just She just doesn't get the get the right scent sometimes but so yeah we had some good points and relocations on on roosters out here but then um i ran on sharp tails one of the other episodes i was too worried and um, bailey made fun of me i think but um <laughs> we had her out that first night and i called you right after that and yeah. she pretty much blew through a ton of sharp tails and um she found i couldn't them. she found them and she yep. she found them really well too um, I don't think she ever stopped. I don't know. I couldn't see her at this point anymore. She was 60 yards, 50 yards away, which is fine with me. I don't want to have her anywhere closer than that, you know, especially in sharp tail country. Yeah. And um, and I was worried. I thought my dog's broken. You know, she points every <laughs> chakra and pigeon we put in front of her, and all of a sudden she doesn't point any sharpies. And um, so I called you and I texted Bailey, and everybody told me, it's like, well, has she ever seen one? It's like, <laughs> it's like well, give her some time. Yeah. And, um, you know, like, Bailey told me Mogul needed so many sharp tails till he had it figured out. And I'm like, oh my God, I want to shoot a sharp tail over her. Come, you know, I'm driving out there September 13th. That's the first day and I'm going to shoot a sharp tail over her. <laughs> but um, long story short, um, next morning I took her out and we found two singles and really three singles. One of them flushed early and she didn't see it, but she pointed out three of them. So yeah. immediately she was on there. Yeah. She's well on her way, Simon. You know that. Yeah, I know that, but still. I'm still yeah. worried. <laughs> well, I've talked, I mean, I've talked a, a bunch on this podcast over the years, just again, like sort of the roller coaster that goes on up between our ears, especially when it comes to, you know, first time newer to bird dogs, first pointing dog, whatever, you know, I mean, it's, we can't help ourselves really. And I know, I know the feeling for sure. Yeah. But a little bit of patience. And I mean, I mean, you know, I know. again, Juniper's, Juniper's had, She's been exposed to everything she needs to be exposed to. I mean, at this point, I think it's like, and you know this, but it's just like, just enjoy the season, man. Like, give her her head and take her out there. I know she's going to get on a ton of birds this fall, and oh, she's yeah. going to be better for it. No kidding. She will She will see a lot of different covers, and it'll build her quite a bit in the first year. I can't wait to see the dock, you know, accelerating. Yeah. Like, she will. So you and I have talked about this a little bit. I, I just want to sort of bring it up here because you're in a uh, – kind of a cool spot you've got a flushing dog and a pointing dog talk to me about how you will approach the season as far as hunting those dogs separately together what what are you thinking there so i'm thinking she has to be an extreme rock star for me to hunt them together this season yeah and i don't think it's going to happen yeah right mainly because one of the reasons i got the dog was i needed dog power and if i hunt them together it kind of doesn't work and um she did run in the field on on the training grounds together with another dog and she doesn't really care about other dogs in the field and that's positive and she she 
you know backed somewhat so it's all good but um, with a flushing dog and shooter which is very competitive she's a very competitive dog i don't think it's gonna be a good idea like that dog kind of needs to be um juniper needs to be mature enough so i'll probably take even two seasons hunting them separately yeah there might be the tickle at some point in me that i will hunt them for you know for a second together sure in the second season but not like that's not going to be my daily my daily routine i really want to learn her too and that's kind of why if i tell you i run dogs i often run them separately even for training and for just running them in the field because i want to i know shooter in and out i know exactly what she's going to do next she knows exactly what i'm going to do next we spend so many days in the field together and so many nights in the truck bed together we just know each other so well and i want to get to that kind of idea the quickest i can with juniper too i think that's another reason to run her by herself even just on walks and nature walks because i just want to figure out what anything that dog does means right yeah. and, and it takes a while but i already started figuring out kind of seeing her little quirks and what mm-hmm. she's doing just before she gets on a bird and i, I can't tell you 100 percent if she's birdie yet or not and so that's good that's it's a good start and, and this just needs to be built up on and it's straight up experience that can only build be built over time so this whole season they're gonna they're gonna definitely hunt separate yeah yeah that's good that's good obviously the establishing the bond and the working relationship between you and juniper i mean that's that's going to go a long ways as you already have seen with shooter that's a big deal exactly but but for the future for the future though yes i can tell you that the plan for 100 is that i'm gonna i will always have a flushing dog i believe so oh yeah that was going to be my question yeah Yeah. and and they will hunt together that is that is the plan eventually those dogs will hunt together and um and there's there's no question, no doubt about that. And I don't know if I'm going to have a golden next time as a flushing dog or a springer or whatever I'm going to figure out, but it's going to be a flushing dog, mainly because I love pheasant hunting as I do, and I love how flushing dogs work late season cover. It's just a different little, just a different different way of hunting, and I'll enjoy that thoroughly, so that, that's the reason I'm going to have another flushing dog. And, and I do like the idea of, of what I've seen so far only on videos, but what the guys in the south do you know, over quail. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I just, I just like that. And, and the input I got from, from friends I hunted was the last season, Wes Larrabee, for example, he was very, he said, we got, got much better shots sending shooter and over his pointing to dogs. Flush. Yeah. Cause, cause she flushed them kind of straight up instead of away from you. Right. And, and that made a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's part of me that I think we were talking about this last week and I, we did see it when you and I were running together last year. We had Hartley and Shooter out. We were running sharp tails, and Hartley pointed a bird, and we sent Shooter in, and um, it worked out. You know, bird flushed, whatever. We weren't hunting at the time, but it, I would like to do that because, again, there are those examples in the field where if you could get set up, you know, if you got a point and a, you know, got a bird that's holding and you could get set up and send that dog in, I mean, it just kind of sounds like really the ticket yeah. for, for a so, lot of scenarios. So, and, and, and I'm a complete novice when it comes to bird dogs and everything. So I might yeah, say yeah. things people get mad up, mad about <laughs> and send you messages on your, on your email address on, but what stops you from letting your dog go in, you know? And that, and I know that in Europe, that's how we do it. Right, so. right. I've heard that that you know certain people, right. and again the dogs are so smart and so biddable 
that it's not a leap in my head, at least, to imagine a scenario where a dog totally understands that his or her job is to point the bird until the handler comes in. And, mm-hmm. you know, like it's not really not all that different than what we're asking them to do. It's, yeah. I would say, it is a, right. it's a cultural slash aesthetic thing that we just sort of do. And, yep. but, but as we were talking about, like there are times when in the grouse woods, I got a dog on point reason to believe there's a bird on the ground and the, and sometimes the birds, you know, I kick the branch, whatever it's not flushing. And then at, there comes a time where you realize I'm basically taking myself out of the game to flush yeah, this. Bird. Exactly. And, and that, you know, that is a yeah. big point, right? You make yeah. in there. And I've seen that hunting over pointing dogs quite a bit in the Northwoods already in my last season that, that you, you see that happening that, you know, it's kind of like it's it's nice to hunt with two people because of that because yes. one can go in and maybe get a shot but if not the other one gets that shot you know so it's, it helps but if you're by yourself you're 100 percent right you're taking yourself out of the equation yep. as a shooter at this point in time you and it's nice to maybe have trees into the mix and yep, exactly <laughs> and it's nice to you know have a little po- pocket rocket you can let out there and you know yep. clean the area up with, with the nose that works a little different than a pointing dog nose too right so it's it's kind of interesting. So I'm I'm looking forward to something like that, and I think yeah. this will be my setup in the future. I really would love to have a setup like that, and and yep. ju- a shooter setup for it because she's she right. knows how to heal perfectly. She's obedient. She sits on command. She you know she's ready to go for that. I mean yep. that's how I hunt grouse with her. I sit her most of yeah. the time. Yeah, right. No, I'll, I'll be very interested to kind of hear. Well, you're not, again, you're not going to run them together this this year, but eventually, yeah. and I'm sure I'll get a chance to see it. But yeah, it's, it's yeah interesting thing to think well, maybe about. maybe we run you know your dogs eventually you know together with shooter right yep you know yep. yeah we could do it with we could do hartley and shooter this yeah, year exactly if we wanted to do that that'd be fun yeah especially on 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 um, sharp tails might be mm-hmm. i think that might be one of the better or hunts might be one of the better setups to do it with because you have you can see a lot you can you know control them a little better than right do it in the north woods where you have a hard time navigating yourself yeah well you had a pretty uh pretty epic second season let's let's preview the third oh, season a little bit what's on the calendar man um well sir third season is it's just starting off very strongly so unfortunately no, there's some work i need to do at the beginning of september so i can't get out till probably the 13th but i took two weeks of actual vacation and i'm gonna go out to montana and um hunt with a buddy both of us ben Pradding, and he's gonna be out there and we're just gonna I think we have like a house for the first couple of days or something, and then we're just gonna, you know, hobo it out somewhere on the prairie with this with this ice house. Cool. And that's kind of the plan, and it kind of keeps expanding, so I might be a little longer out there. And the whole opportunity kind of keeps building, so we're gonna do sharp tails and hunts. Very obviously, that's the the plan for that trip. And then it sounds like that at the end of that trip, we're gonna head towards Tyler's maybe or that area and try to hunt some cranes. Uh, so that okay. that'd be exciting, and then um, I got a hold of Emily out there in, in North Dakota, and she, um, she might take me sage cross hunting, which is very high up on my list. Yep. never done that. That's pretty exciting too. And then um, I don't know, see how much time I have. Maybe I head into northern Wyoming and have a have a friend I know from the old Instagram that might take me out a little too. <laughs> so that's kind of the plan right now: two to three weeks at a time out there. Big, and then big kickoff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good for the dog, right? Yeah. Great birds, hunts and sharp tails, I think great birds for her to get used to and 
they, they don't run quite as hard as pheasants do and they hold tight early season so it's, it's quite nice for the dog to figure stuff out usually they hang out in groups at this point in time that they have a good scent pattern to them you know so that's kind of the idea and then um moving from there probably working up from the cabin then as i did last year which is northern wisconsin yeah and just work up there and hunt in the mornings and the evenings how much as much as i can really and um try to knock out some some grouse and woodcock really trying to set up a grouse camp this year um at the cabin too with some friends and cool. and planning on getting the whole woodcock flight in pretty well was because i believe probably the best training bird there is well it's at least what people tell me for yeah. juniper and it's then after one. yeah and then after that moving moving back home finally and being in november at this point in time late october early november it's starting starting to um, hunt some pheasant and then november late november is probably going to be um, a trip out to the four pier grasslands again south i did dakota. that last year it's yeah. quite impressive and then some more south dakota trips i have a good friend that um, goes out there quite a bit and i'm going to go with him he's got some access to private land we hunt and i do hunt some pu- quite a bit of public land out there and then i don't know january yet i've been i've been t- i'm torn i'm torn either to take advantage of the south dakota late season again mm-hmm. see if they do it and see how the weather is last year was crazy we had 45 degrees in sunshine yeah. Yeah. or i really want to go down to arizona i really do i've been down there in my first season i don't know if you remember That's that right. I, was, I do yeah i was um, foot hunting no dog yep. hunting um, quail was um my wife's cousin, which is a complete hunting nut, and he knows exactly <laughs> how to read them. And it was a great time. I learned a lot. But um, I really want to hunt them over, over dogs and, and maybe get some murns. I don't know. I need to call Tyler. That's really the long yeah. story. I need to figure <laughs> out how to get down there in January. And I think Travis is going too. So probably that might happen. So yeah. that's, that's the short overview of um, a little bit of a season I have coming up here. Yeah. I, I always – I never really like the question of like, you know what's your favorite bird to hunt it's like you know woodcock <laughs> okay well cuz basically i was saying that and i was going to ask you but like yeah. like what are some of the things you know tell me about a couple different birds and what are the things that you like about the landscapes they live in or you like yep. about hunting them so I hate the landscape the woodcock lives in. No, I'm not going to lie. I mean, this whole romantic Northwoods thing, you know. It's Watch just yourself not ha- now. It's not happening on a woodcock landscape because <laughs> where I hunt woodcock, I can, you know, it's it's much more, it's much younger aspen forest than you would hunt for grouse. And you know yeah. that because I go for woodcock because yeah. I love how they taste. They're the best tasting bird out there. I have to be careful with That's that, cool. I guess. That's cool. Well, yeah, I mean, some people would, would totally yeah. think that is crazy, but I I... I wouldn't argue that. I think they're great. No, I completely agree. So, I, and I just have a love relationship with that bird because that was really the first wild bird I shot over my dog. And I think they're just funny looking, interesting birds. So, yeah. woodcock is definitely on top of my list. And then um, it's not the most pleasant area to hunt in, right? Just yeah. trying to brush through the woods. But then um, I think second on that list is definitely the sharp tail grouse. And Huns are bonus, but I really love sharpies. Yeah. First of all, they, I think they're super easy to shoot. They're kind of like slow pheasants. I, I wouldn't say that they're hard. Yeah. No, I, no, compared to like a grouse, like a rough grouse in the woods, yeah. right? So yeah. they're very easy to shoot. Often when I hunt them early, the last couple of times I was hunting them, you find them in flocks, I think you call them, right? Mm. The sharp tail grouse. So it's, yes, it's kind not, of it's kind not of a ex- covey. Yep. yep. It's kind of exciting, right? So it's 
cool yep. to see more than one bird coming up. Yes. And then, I mean, how can you not love that landscape? Uh, yeah. Rolling hills, short short grass prairie, and you can walk for you know ten miles a day, and you don't you don't mess yourself up, right? I mean, it's as enjoyable as enjoyable gets, really. No, exactly, right? And and I enjoy that, and and I think also that taste is really really good. Again, I'm, I'm like more them. to the I'm more I'm more of a I like birds that taste like more than a chicken, so I really like t- birds that have a lot of taste to them. Yeah, a lot of flavor. So those birds are definitely on top of the list. Yeah, I think those are my my, my definitely my favorites. And yeah. I haven't gotten to quail much yet on dogs, so I wonder if I'm going to be completely hooked once I'm getting into some bob white or gambles with dogs. And I have the feeling I might be. You tend to hear people pretty enthusiastically talking about a bob white quail. Cover your eyes, or you know any quail for that yeah. matter. That's that's one that I have spent really no time hunting either. So that's on my list and. Would love to get out there and do it. Agreed. Wonder if it's much different than a hun, but it's great. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of bird hunting. Really, is the variety and the different landscapes, and that you know there really is kind of upland bird hunting. No matter where you are, obviously some areas much better than other, and certain people have, they're kind of lacking wild birds, but there's there's a ton of variety within yeah. upland hunting and man for, for somebody that's coming up on their third season you've experienced quite a bit of it already yeah i've seen a lot of them so far but it's i was just gonna say it has a lot to do there's a couple of factors i think that played into that first of all where i live just west yeah. of the cities yeah i am in i mean the lo- longest the furthest i have to drive really to well last year was was eight hours out out to north dakota and then you really in in some paradise area to hunt mm-hmm. and then um you can get in so many birds i mean i just have to drive five hours into into south dakota and i get into sharpies hunts prairie chickens pheasants right i drive up north get into grouse and woodcock and and i drive you know six seven hours south and i get into bob white quail i mean it's, it's, yeah. it's very very uh, pleasant of an area to live if you're an upland hunter yeah. and then the other thing is i think that helps me most i think it's the number one thing is just the community Right, I'd, I'd drop so many names, but if if they wouldn't be so willing to welcome me and 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 people, new people in this community, I would not even be where I'm at now. Yeah. I mean, you, the first person I kind of messaged was you at the beginning, and and you were very open to all of this, and and you obviously didn't give anything away, but you said, hey, this is what you're looking for, figure it out, and that helped, right? Did There's I? Somebody that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I messaged you on Instagram. That was kind of our start of this whole thing. I remember like, so, that. What are we gonna do here? <laughs> no, and 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 I, that just whole that whole community is just wonderful. Yeah, like yeah. it it helps helps a lot to to have good people that give you really anything you need, as long as they see that you put a lot of work and passion into it. Yeah, and that's I think the biggest thing what people have to understand. You don't get stuff for free; you still have to put a lot of work into it. Yeah, yeah, you know, but you definitely get helped. Yeah, there's a way to go about it, and I think. It, you know, it's kind of a sort of a just a common sense etiquette thing, but, you know, asking the right questions and that can be nuanced, you know, to somebody coming in, you know, you might might ask the wrong question or something. Oh, yeah. but for the for the most part, I, I would agree. I mean, I think I've reached out to a ton of people over the years and people are very welcoming and forgiving. And, you know, it's it's pretty easy to tell what somebody's motives are most of the time. And and I think if you're comfortable with that, then you're going to you're going to find that people are really willing to share. Yeah, I agree. 
Well, let's talk about shooting a little bit. This was actually interesting to me. This We, we talked about this at Pine Ridge last week. When you decided you wanted to get into hunting a couple of years ago, had you ever shot before? No. I mean, no, no, no. I shot, let me think about that. No, I think I shot, like, yeah, I shot a couple rifles before at a friend's okay. farm in Kansas, right? But not like, I haven't shot at anything moving or had a shotgun or anything like that. I had no idea what I was looking at. So firearm safety, did you just jump online and do it online or how did that work? Yeah, I did it online. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's nice that you could do that. Yeah, it was nice and... um it was very helpful. I thought at the beginning it's going to be totally a waste of time, but it was quite helpful. If you you know if you grow up in a country that just doesn't have the same relationship with firearms than the U.S. did, which probably ninety nine percent of the countries in this world, it's it's quite hard to um, feel comfortable around them. So it was nice to have that um, kind of course made for new hunters and kids and. But I took a lot away from it, so it was, it was nice. Did you have to do a field day then? No, I don't. I didn't. Okay. I'm, I'm old enough. Kind of yeah. wish I would have, but at the end of the day, I think I did many field days by now. But right. no, it's it is. I think it would help some people. I'm very um, technologically advanced. So I know how to use things quite well. So I figured out how to use the guns and how to handle them right and everything, and how to take them apart, put them together, and all that stuff pretty quickly. Yeah. So I think I was good without the field day, but but definitely um, enjoyed. Matter of fact, I enjoyed the hunter safety. I thought well, that's, it was pretty I cool. Mean, that's that's good to hear that it didn't feel totally, you know, bogus or like a waste of time. No, I think yeah. there was some stuff that's like repetitive, but you gotta understand, right? It's made for me and for you know, ten year olds. So yep. it's it's but I think they did a good job combining that pretty well and I th- still believe it's not enough for hunters to learn well, just yeah, that. But that's but, like kind of the we were getting at earlier. I mean, as fun as we have talking about up and hunting and sort of you know casually discussing it i mean you're carrying guns and you got safety and yeah it's it's a big deal not something to be taken lightly that's for dang sure no and and, and hunter safety and and this whole hunter's education thing you know it's not just gun safety right it's obviously ethics and i just mm-hmm. think there could be a little bit more work on ethics because as you, you know me by now i'm that's one of my priorities is really is is trying to be as ethical of a hunter as i can and it really helps if you learn and i learned some of that in the, in the course so that was good yeah. yeah and then you know i um i um, did that course and then i bought my first shotgun that was quite an interesting <laughs> trip too yeah and shot a whole lot i'm gonna ask you about that in a second I, I was just gonna say that i don't remember a ton from when i took hunter safety but i was mm-hmm. 10 or 11 you know and i i remember i took it at ordine middle school in duluth and i remember enjoying the class i was so fired up to be going through the class that you know yeah. I loved being there, but I remember it being valuable. And there's some there's some moments about like I recall, you know, you watch this. I remember watching a video, and I'd be like, I imagine other people saw this too, but I remember watching a video that was like is like this overly dramatic video where these two kids are going hunting and they're running, they're like basically frolicking along, and then the one kid slips behind the other kid and shoots his friend in the back, and it just. Jeez. <laughs> Like that kind of stuff, which I mean, it stuck with me. It stuck. Yeah, it stuck with me. So I'm not like disparaging that as a lesson, but it's just something I look back at, and I guess I don't know. Maybe laugh is the wrong word. No, I think they did a good job, and 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 anything at this point in time I could get to learn out of information was important. And there's not much. If you watch any Project Upland video or any other video, matter of fact, on YouTube about hunting, none of them talk about that kind of stuff so it was quite interesting to find a resource and i had to do it so it was nice that i right, had that resource right. yeah 
Right. Well, okay. So, so then fast forwarding a little bit, you got gun safety done. You haven't hunted yet, but you're, you go out and buy your first shotgun. What was that yeah. like? <laughs> <laughs> I think I took my, 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 um, neighbor again i think it took him as me but i think only the second time i can't remember but i walked into cabela's and <laughs> i had no idea right i did a ton of research and kind of knew what i wanted i knew i wanted a break action shotgun okay and the main reason is because everybody that i wanted to look like i guess had a break action shotgun if that makes sense <laughs> or the people and, that you were looking at watching yeah whatever. really i mean and and then the other thing was i just liked the traditional look of hunting i still bought the wrong break action shotgun because you know obviously wasn't the barrels weren't aligned horizontally at this point in time <laughs> but so i knew i wanted a shotgun that breaks open and also um i saw a lot of like cam hunting camps and outfitters that said we only allow those because it's mm. safer i'm like oh that must be real safe then so long story short um i um decided on that and i kind of looked what i wanted and that cabela's had it in stock it was a frankie instinct mm. l 12 gauge because i thought i needed a 12 gauge to kill pheasants right that's something else i learned over the years but um so i walked into that store and you know totally didn't know what i was doing super nervous i was like oh can i see this you know and they're like <laughs> oh sure here you go you know just like gave me three of different ones and kind of i don't even know what it all was and i tried to open that thing i couldn't open it those, those frankies man they're they're like stiff when they come out of the factory. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. And now I know why they do that too, because they wear down too quickly, but that's a different topic. So <laughs> Simon said it. <laughs> no, but um but um so I couldn't open it and opened it finally and then you know I totally felt like I looked like an idiot and then I closed it and then I got my t shirt stuck in the action. And I was like trying to dance around, get that out, and couldn't open it anymore because now there was even something now else stuck tight, into it yep. in a tight in a tight action. So I completely looked like a moron, right? But uh, but it turned out good. Um, I actually bought that gun, so um, I they, did this they didn't background kick you check. Out. No, that, I mean something very scary that I didn't get kicked out. That I actually got sold a gun. But <laughs> but, but um, I didn't. I did make a, did do a background check, and I got um, delayed, which I do every time I learned this that day because I I have a green card, which is uh, totally normal. And I'm like, oh my god, like what happened? I. Right, you know, right, right. I was so worried that I'm just like never gonna own a gun. I did something wrong in my green card application or whatever. You know, everything went through my head that night, and and in the morning, um, Cabela's called me. He's like, no, no, it's all good. You you can come and pick it up. I'm like, <laughs> so I went and picked it up, and and I don't even know. Man, I just bought a case of shells and just kind of tried to figure out what to do with it, and then I um tried to look around yeah. the area for for hunt clubs or you know shooting clubs sportsman clubs to just try to um try to figure out how to shoot that at clay because i i wanted to shoot as much as i can i i was very worried that i'm going to be a bad shot like very worried which kind of is true but the point is that that i really didn't want to wound anything i wanted to be efficient at killing something because if i take the responsibility in killing something i want to make sure it doesn't it doesn't have a hard time you know yeah you're trying to control what you could control exactly and i just wanted to be a really good shot I like to be good at things. So um, yeah. I bought shells and went shooting. I think I found like a place in Blaine, which is quite dry for me, but I drove out there a lot that summer. A lot. Is that is that North Metro Gun Club? Yeah. Yeah, yep, yeah. Okay. Exactly. So That's they knew good. me by first name at this point at the end of the <laughs> summer. I mean, maybe it has something to do that I'm the only German that comes out there shooting clay like a <laughs> lunatic. But So yeah, I shot trap and, and sporting clay okay. extensively. Okay. Yeah, mainly trap. 
at the yeah. beginning and I shot, I think I calculated it nearly 3,000 rounds that summer. When you were going, geez, that's a lot of rounds. When, when you were going yeah. to shoot trap, were you, were you put on the line with other people? How did that yep. work? I Immediately. Mean, was, okay. Yep. So I walked up and pretty much said, I have never done this. I have yep. no idea of what I'm doing. And everybody turned around and said, oh, no worries. And they all helped me. It was just magical. And I figured it out fairly quick. And um, the first clay comes up. I shoot it. It explodes. From then on, it was okay. So, you know, the monkey's off your back. And and it kind of worked. And and they gave me some pointers into how to hold my gun, how to mount it. And, and, you know, and then eventually I started shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting. I shot usually every time I went out there, I shot, tried to shoot them. Four rounds, so hundred hundred clay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So um, that was kind of the idea, and and I did that quite a bit. Yeah, so throughout, I think I started in, I can't remember May, and went all the way through late August, early September, and shot two to three times a week. Yeah, yeah. very cool. Yeah, you definitely so, put some time in up front before yeah, going then, hunting. Yep. Eventually switched over to sporting clay and learned that that's a complete different animal, but yep. helped me quite a bit, I think. Yeah, yeah, they've got their different purposes so then so that was a couple summers ago last year i'm I'm guessing you didn't shoot as much the second season but are you still shooting clays a little bit i do um i want a one of those automatic clay throwers at pheasant fest oh yeah so, yeah yeah, yeah the one right. just before covid and um so i have that sitting at a friend's and we you know shoot quite a bit but um not as much as i want to be shooting yeah um also you know it adds up Shooting out in Blaine's not not that 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 place is particularly expensive, but just shooting clay is not cheap. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're pretty reasonable, but it it adds yeah, up. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're actually great, but but yeah. still, it's expensive. If you shoot, let's just say you shoot two thousand rounds a summer, you spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you know comes with it that I shoot a lot of um, oddball um, gauges now. So yeah, yeah. it's not like you just go and to the sporting goods store and pick up a ton of sixteen or twenty eight gauge. Um, especially target, not target right load now. for for, yeah. for $5 or $4.99 I think yeah when I started I bought like on sale I bought like federal for $5.99 or $5.49 I would yeah. try to do that right now you know no yeah. chance no so chance. I shot quite a bit less but then again I shot more at real birds too so it it, yeah. it you know it kind of is a wash but yeah no it's just a, it's a good time I like shooting clay yep I, I agree I did a I actually Maybe on the same timeline, it was a few years ago, two, three years ago, that I kind of spent one summer where I just went and shot a bunch. I mean, once, sometimes twice a week, every week shooting a, a round of 50 sporting clays. And, and prior to that, I had done very little clay shooting. And so I kind of went all in. And now the the years since, I haven't done as much, but I found a, a nice balance as far as like, you know, shooting through the summer and through the off season and just sort of maintaining a, a level of proficiency that I'd never used to before. Yeah. No, and, and and I think those there's a difference between shooting 3,000 rounds when you don't know what the heck you're doing. Yeah. And that was completely just to try to get myself used to shooting. Yeah, you're just getting a baseline in, basically. Yeah, and, 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 and what that really did is I could have shot 1,000 rounds and did 2,000 gun mounts. I would have been probably at the same spot. Yeah, you know? sure. And yeah. I think that's that's just where I was at the second season. I was And now, now ahead of the third season. I was just like, yeah, it makes complete sense to just, um, you know, shoot whenever I need to and then work on problems I'm having. Like, be yeah. more specific on problems I'm having, which I do have problems since I bought the shotgun. Now we figured out a little bit why. Um, it has a lot to do with measurement and, and sizing and everything. But I started working more on particular issues I had. So I figured out that I'm cross-eye dominant, for example. 
So I started, you know, closing my left eye and it helped yep. a lot and things like that. Did you figure but, um, that out on, on your own? Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, yeah. It was I, I, quite a fun story because I'd started shooting a rifle for deer hunting. Oh, yeah. And I started um, to realize that I see much, have less, uh, worse vision on my right eye than on my left eye. So I went to the dog and he checked me out and then um, I did the dominancy test and um, figured out that my left eye probably got dominant at some point because my right eye has a better, worse vision. So I think that's mm. kind of what happened. But long story short, um, I still shoot pretty well. So, but so I think you start working on specifics once you shot enough, right? And that's yeah. kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm work, trying to work on things where I know I miss birds a lot, which are straightaways. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, it was about a year. It only took you 12 months, but eventually you got the side by side bug. <laughs> oh, no, I got that the same year. Oh, same year. How yeah, I, got, I, bought, I bought a shop tail. Oh, that's right. I forgot about yeah, that. I, bought, I mean, uh, it's not quite the side by side I'm having now. I'm getting here pretty soon the yeah. second one, but but um, it is a shot. It is a side by side. The barrels are, matter of factly, um, you know, horizontally, and um, <laughs> and I shot this thing actually quite well till I had um, till I had some issues with the safety on it. it. It got stuck, and there's nothing worse when you um, are in the north woods and barely see any crows. Because you really suck at hunting grouse and have a flushing dog, and then you can't get the safety off. So I kind of (laughs) that could be frustrating. Oh my god, I hated it for a minute. But but CZ was like amazing about it, and and like no questions asked, repaired that thing and brought it back. So I still have it, and I love love shooting it. So I got that, and um, just um, just didn't like the. I mean, figured out I really didn't like that single trigger. um, Yeah, like pistol grip situation or Prince of Wales, whatever that is. So, um, and I really like pretty things. So I yeah. got myself into a, the first, I think one of the first, the, fir- the first delivery of, of Upland Gun Company guns, yep. RFM, and I got myself a side-by-side 16-gauge, beautiful gun. Zeus. And I shot that all last, yep, shot that all yep. pretty much last season. Yeah. We got it right, I got it right after we came back off from North Dakota in September. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, I'm really, really loving that gun and it's a great gun. So much so that you decided to get another one. Yep, yep, getting a second <laughs> one eventually. I mean, it's built. I've seen it's, pictures. Yeah, right. <laughs> what? So, what was your thinking? So you got a, you know, you got a sixteen gauge, and you've become a little bit of a gun collector here now, which you know, it's not nothing unfamiliar for folks listening to this. But yep. what were you thinking <laughs> about when you wanted to get the next side by side? Any tweaks or aesthetic things that you wanted to get with it? I don't know. I didn't. If you do too much thinking, you don't buy enough guns. But um, <laughs> that's true. So, <laughs> um, no, the point I think is that. Um, so if you describe quick my 16 gauge, I guess it's a it's a side plated box lock. It's blued. Okay, it's hardened. Yep. And it's engraved, fully engraved all the way through. Double triggers, 28. Double inch triggers. Barrels, yep, exactly. Really beautiful, beautiful gun. Great wood on it. Yep. So now I wanted to go a little bit different. And first of all, I need. I really, really needed a 28 gauge. So <laughs> you had I, to have one. I had to have one, <laughs> and um, and just the fanciness I've always seen on old European guns, especially English guns, when they had like a two barrel set, just kind mm-hmm. of got me thinking. And then you know, through that at Jerry, and he's like, "Oh, sure, we can do that." So I got a two, bar- getting a two barrel set. Zeus again. It's a 28 gauge, 20 gauge barrel combination, and um, again, I think. Very standard choking and and nothing too fancy, but um, I skipped the side plates this time, so it's a 
box lock, box lock. Yeah, yeah. And um, it is not case hardened. So if anybody's seen the gun you've been carrying around here lately, it's going to be the same engraving pattern. Yeah. Pretty close, so deep, deep scroll engraving. And um, I forgot you got that engraving on it. Yeah, that's yep. going to look nice. Oh, it's going to look really nice, I agree. And then um, I did some extra tweaks. Like um, I did this little gold letters on top of the barrel. Um, one, one obviously says 20, the other 28. Then um, I do have a woodcock inlaid in the bottom of the action. Oh, nice. Which I'm very excited about because it's going to be obviously woodcock gun. Yeah. Partly. And, um, you know, got nice upgraded wood. So really looking forward to that gun to finally come. And it should be here by now, but um, we decided to hold off. Or Jerry really did. And then he called me and said, hey, you got to get measured or fitted. And yep. I'm like, sure, if you think so. I didn't think I needed to be. But now I figured out I really needed to be. <laughs> so that yeah. now that I'm fitted, I think um, it's going to be pretty soon that they're going to start working on the wood let's yeah let, let's talk about the, i obviously am you know selfishly can't wait to see your gun this fall because it's the way you set it up i think it's really cool it's just some really neat things that you can do with helping gun company which, yes uh, crazy it's just kind of yeah unique opportunity but let's talk briefly like we're going to wrap up here pretty quick but let's talk about the gun fit because we kept alluding to the fact that we were at piner's grouse camp last week we were there with del whitman at Upland Gunsmith on Instagram. He was doing some gun fittings for Upland Gun Company and folks in the area that wanted to do it. So, again, perfect sort of part of this conversation. You, you know, you start Upland hunting, you're into guns, and you're just yep. like you're, you're s- snowballing downhill <laughs> into this stuff. But now you're now you're get, shooting at the plate with Dell and getting gun fit. What was that like? Oh, what a great experience. Yeah. Um, especially with so cool and a little bit daunting was – you know, I took pictures there, so I was there for the whole three days. Yep. And I saw everybody mm-hmm. get fitted. Everyone that was there the three days. Which I saw was get like fitted. 17 people, including yes. yourself. And yeah. there was a wide mixture of people getting fit really quickly and then some people really using up the whole two hours. And it has nothing to do with their quality of shoot shooting or whatever they experience. It has just something to do with how we are all built. And I learned that pretty quickly. And then yep. Dell is just a genius and a master of his of his art yeah. and how his patience was just dealing with things just blew me away dealing but with long story short oh yeah I mean, <laughs> just, that's the toughest one but um but looking at um looking at that i was like oh my god i'm hope i'm gonna not let's just hope i'm not gonna be one of those two hour guys you know <laughs> and i was so sure i was because i'm cross-eyed dominant and you know things right. things like that but i think I, my fitting was like with 16 minutes or something it's but it was um, fast because I, <laughs> I mean i watched it you you shot Super consistently. I mean, the two things. And this is just from spending a little time around Dell. You have a you have a very consistent gun mount, and you responded to the yep. adjustments he was making. That's the phrase that he would use. Basically, when he would make an adjustment to the gun, you would go and shoot it, and the, it works. Your pattern yep. would move according to the adjustments he made, which is telling him that you're getting a good weld on your cheek and you're mm-hmm. you're in the gun the right way, and that lent itself to a rather speedy fitting. Yeah, no kidding. And and you know, talking about spending money on a gun fit, it's it's not cheap. No matter what you can it's not right. cheap, but it's very well invested money if you do your homework. And that is just the biggest thing I learned out of it. You got to learn your gun mounts. Like you got to the whole week before or two weeks before, if you don't do it anyways like I do, um just mount your gun once a day, twice a day, three yeah. times a day. Just work on it, work on it, work on it, work on it. And eventually if you just have that down like perfectly, then it's easy because you start responding to changes he does and yeah. and it went really quickly i mean he's think he fitted me 
he measured me and, and put put that gun up the first time when I was, I can't remember what I was, maybe low to the left a little bit yeah. or high to the left, I can remember. And he tweaked that thing and all of a sudden I was shooting right in the center. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. And and just to see that was pretty outstanding and shooting different guns in the sea being off. And you you are so one hundred percent sure you put in that bead on that on that orange dot and all of a sudden you're shooting like six inches high, six inches high. It's like, how does that work? And really this all it is is where the position your head is in. Yeah. So that was it was a great experience and I'm really looking forward to having those numbers being translated into um into somewhat Italian and getting built yeah. onto my gun is, is Yeah, that reminds great. me, I gotta send those numbers to Italy. Oh, you still didn't do that? <laughs> no, God. not yet. Well they're on vacation right now. That so. company, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but but I'm really excited to see that coming in out of my new shotgun and i guarantee you i'm gonna have more fun shooting it yeah there's no question about it yeah yeah I, th- I think what you said there you know again it's it's a confidence booster for you to see that and shoot it and go through the again just spending some time with dell is was always a good thing and he's been on this podcast before so folks kind of know sort of like his approach and methodology and something i really appreciate about it but yeah I, I think the golf club not everybody golfs, but that analogy, like you can go out and get custom fit golf clubs. That doesn't mean you're going to shoot better the next day, right? It's, it's about your technique and your approach. And so exactly, you can go spend money on a gun fit and it can absolutely benefit you in a multitude of ways. But if you're not mounting the gun, putting in the practice and doing things right to begin with, you know, you're not going to get the value yeah, out of it. I don't believe a gun. F- I, maybe I'm wrong about that. So Dell can send me a message, but I, I don't think I share your opinion, but I don't believe you should be gun fit. If you don't shoot a lot, like if you're just starting, I, I think that's yeah. something you do after you did the 3000 round kind of shooting. Not, not maybe not as extensively. Right. But yeah, but after you have a feeling for your own shotgun and after you mounted it so many times that it's kind of second nature. And I think then it's time to get fitted. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But de- I think definitely I got much more benefit out of that doing it now than I would have done it two and a half years ago. Yeah. As far as I would certainly defer to somebody like Dell, you know, if somebody was like, hey, I want to just get started on the right foot. What should I do? You know, he, he's usually pretty quick to say that if you don't have a consistent mount or you don't have like a technique that you have defined, you probably would tell you to, you know, get with a shooting coach or somebody who's more of a dedicated shooting instructor yeah. to get you going the right direction before you need to be worried about getting a custom gun stock. And, or and, I, and like I guess we have to be careful saying that too now that I yeah. think about the both of us because we, you and I are extremely standout fits. Yeah. Like we can pick up yeah. a gun out of the, out of the, just off the shelf and we fit right. very, very well, very close to where we are. And I guess if you're not like that, that that is more of a problem than you probably get fit before you even start shooting. But but for me, it was definitely helpful to do it after. Well, the one thing too is that anybody can, going out and shooting a patterning plate is something that a lot of times we talk about it as far as like patterning the your load or a certain choke or something. But really that would be, again, just you know Nick's opinion, like, if you want to know, like if you're starting out, go shoot a patterning plate at 16 yards. That's what they do. 16 yards, you shoot a white patterning plate. You could probably look this up. I'm sure Uh, maybe I'll find a resource and throw it in there, but, and shooting that patterning plate by mounting your gun, not rushing it, but not taking a bunch of time and not making adjustments while you're on the gun, just kind of mount your gun and shoot. As soon as you have the target and focus, that could tell you a lot. If you kind of know what to look for, you talk to the right people, but yeah, I agree. And, and, and um, it just showed me just with my um, 
with my gun already have you know that that i've been shooting that's actually the gun i shot six inches high on 16 yards and um yeah it totally helps me having excuses for the next season on that absolutely point. you can bake those right <laughs> in <laughs> uh, love it awesome yeah, good stuff, man. I appreciate you taking some time to chat with me on the podcast today. It was fun, and we'll be obviously keeping in touch. We'll have to get out and maybe chase some yeah. sharp tails here before the before the season. Yeah, yeah maybe kicks see off. on Friday. Yep, I gotta I gotta talk to Lacey about that. We're how many <laughs> days away are we now? We got seventeen days till due date. So the question is, how Ooh. how far away from home can I be? <laughs> <laughs> well, Pine Ridge is kind of second home, isn't it? So, and yeah, and, and, like to, and like Ronnie, so. Ronnie is going to be up there, so you got to see Ron. Yeah, Ron's going to be there. I mean, I think, like, yeah. chance to party with Ron, like he's in my home state, I feel like that's kind of reason enough. But exactly. We'll see. I might have to have you text Lacey for me. I will do that. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks. All I right. appreciate it. That does it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. That does it for this episode of the show. A quick reminder that the Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZ USA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, and Dakota 283. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe or follow the show in your podcast app. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast. This is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.